statements. Amen? Amen. So our administrators have asked us to be in prayer. And we are going to be in prayer for the institution. And we know the institution is not brick and mortar. The institution is the people. Amen? So we pray for the people. And we pray for God to meet the need. Amen? Amen. Uh, the next thing is, as we are praying, the more I hear, you know, in terms of this, uh, and I know they always say politics, stay out of it. But I'm just, I'm in that place. I just believe God's in everything. That's right. And so all that I've heard over these last few days is just said to me, tonight, we need to be in prayer. Amen. Amen. We're in prayer for our president who is in the office. And for those who are allowing themselves to be uh, considered for the office. Amen. And I'm in a place now that I'm just about ready to my prayer has been, Lord, just to expose their hearts. That's all. I, I just want to see the hearts. And uh, to see who really has a heart for that which needs to be done in this country. And, um, and you know who. Um, <laughs> it's just amazing to me. Amen. When you feel that you, you can come against anybody, there's an issue. So I'm just saying, Lord... Show their hearts and show their character. Amen? Yeah. And so at least if people elect them, we'll know what we were elected before they were elected. Do you understand what I'm saying? Amen. All right. Okay. So we're praying. We're praying. We're praying. This country doesn't know it, but it needs prayer. Amen. Amen. It doesn't know it. but And I know that the word of God is true. And as we were watching War Room tonight... Uh, it was a wonderful way uh, for us to begin the journey of prayer because it doesn't take a whole lot of people to make a difference. Amen? Amen. So, um, we're in that place tonight. Every revival began with somebody praying. Amen? Every major move of God began with somebody making a decision to pray. And tonight, I hope you're not here just to be here. Yeah. But you've made a decision that since you're right. here, you're going to pray. Amen. All right? And we have to be on one accord for that to happen. I believe that the word has uh, an imminent place in terms of our understanding how we then pray. So we are going to have throughout uh, the first part of this evening a series of sermons coming from the advanced communications class. And uh, they have... Um, uh, they, they've already been in that place of knowing exactly what they have to work on. They know. They are preaching on the various spiritual disciplines. They have chosen the discipline that God has placed in their hearts to uh, share with us tonight. So we will start with seven sermons on spiritual disciplines. They will come and they will uh, tell you the discipline that they will speak to. Uh, prior to moving forward, and then they will give you the text, and they know the time. I'm wondering, um, Brother Jerome, can we change that to regular time, or is it going to automatically do that when it gets past 24? It goes to regular? Okay, all right. All right, so, because, um, you know, they would try to translate, and I, I'm too in that place translating. Okay, so, it will be all right. Once we, just 10 minutes, they know they're on that schedule. And we give God praise for what they will do. So, after we have seven preachers, then we will have a presentation from the Spiritual Formation Capstone class. 
and they are doing a presentation on spiritual disciplines, particularly looking at how spiritual disciplines become important to you, SF503, the initiation to spiritual formation class, as you begin your seminary career, you are going to hear from those who are ending their seminary career, and they will speak to you about how spiritual disciplines are important in terms of your study, in terms of your um, allowing yourselves to hear and to obey the voice of God throughout your time of study at Alliance Theological Seminary. So they will come next, and they will have about 15, 20 minutes. Amen? And uh, I don't know if they have uh, opened it up for questions. I don't know how they have organized it. Um, but it's about 20-minute presentation or more. Is it more than that? Two minutes. Oh, please. <laughs> I knew I didn't hear two. <laughs> but they will have about 20 minutes where they'll do the presentation. After they have done their presentation, we will then go to the next seven sermons. So, um, let us begin. We, we will start. We'll have Quay uh, Kong, who is going to start us out. Then she will be followed by Ava Green Cameron. Then Frank Fraley. Su Young. Uh, will follow, amen, she's going to come to us twice, amen, uh, Su Young Lee, then we have Ki Min Lee, and then Harold Spaulding, and then James Clark, amen. amen, so those three, no, those seven will come, and then we will have the presentation, and then I will come forth with the next seven, amen, let's give God praise. Be the first one always not easy. But I'm ready. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, shall we bow our head and pray? Lord, thank you for this evening. Lord, you're a wonderful, amazing God. You gather us here together to, to, uh, to glorify your name. We trust that this is the day that God you have made for us to rejoice in you. So we pray that, uh, Lord, Speak to us and give us wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good evening, brothers and sisters. Good evening. Good evening. Well, tonight I'm going to preach on submission. Wow. Um, I think the word submission may sound very imitating to some of you and make you feel uncomfortable because submission may have a negative connotation to it because it means that you are giving of yourself or surrendering to someone of a higher authority. In this world, submission is often seen as a bad thing because it reflects an abuse of power and position that seems to put people into bandage. In fact, as a licensed mental health counselor, I have seen when people misuse their um, uh, submission, they it causes a lot of brokenness and pain and suffering in families, in uh, your workplace, and even in church. So, um, however, this evening, I would like all of you to invite all of you to open your hearts and minds to a new way of looking at submission. Um, the submission that I'm talking about is through the perspective of our faith and according to the values of God's kingdom. In his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster said, 
The goal of spiritual discipline is freedom. And each discipline has its corresponding freedom. What's freedom corresponding to submission? It is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to have our own way. Well, I repeat, he said that it is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to have our own way. Yeah. You see, one of the value of this modern world is autonomous or acting independently. And the word I is about everything. We are living in a postmodern world, which means there's no absolute truth. If you think, if you believe it's truth, then it's truth. So um, the idea that things have to go my own way has become the most important thing in our lives right now. So however, according to the values of God's kingdom, Submission can lead to freedom, can lead to a stronger and healthier relationship to our God. In fact, the basic understanding of the discipline of submission is found on the book of Mark 8.34. It reads, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Brothers and sisters, first, the word whoever means Jesus has extended his invitation of saving grace to all people. Well. Jewish or Gentile, male or female, doesn't matter. Just to come and follow him as disciples if they believe in him, repent their sins, obey and follow. Isn't it great that to have such a universal saving grace for all humanity? Yes. Amen. Amen. Second. Jesus didn't force anyone to be his disciple. Did you see what Jesus said here? When Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple, it applies to all people. I mean, it applies that people do have a choice. They do have a choice. To follow Jesus requires us to make a choice to walk away from our sins and enter a righteous relationship with God. It does not require any academic analysis or any theological positions. Yeah. When Jesus need, what Jesus needs is our heart Amen. to follow him. Amen. But that's not all. <laughs> Third, Jesus said, let him deny himself. We often call this self-denial. Yeah. And it simply means when you come to Christ, you come to him completely. Yeah. It means you give yourself to him completely. Yeah. And some people may say, okay, I'm ready to follow Christ, but I'm not ready to give full control to Jesus. Yeah. I want to hold on to independence. I mean, some control, and I want to retain some independence. Yeah. Come on. But in other words, this is not a complete submission. It's only a partial submission. Yeah. But what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it mean? It's a full commitment of self to Christ. Yes. No holding back. Come on now. No back. Yes. yes. <laughs> Lastly, the passage said, and take up his cross and follow me. Yeah. Brother and sister, this is a strong command because it means we must be willing to suffer for Christ. Yeah. In this passage, self-sacrifice is the main idea, even to the point of giving your life for the Christ's sake. I believe this is the reason why many Christians have stumbled because many Christians they wanted to find an easy way to follow Christians. It's like, I mean, to follow Christ is like cutting corners. Yeah. And the message of this passage is, if you want to follow Christ, 
You can, but the requirements of being a disciple cannot be dismissed. Yours, your submission, your obedience, and taking up your own cross to follow Jesus in your daily life is not something that you can negotiate or compromise. Here I would like to share a very um, personal testimony. Uh, years ago, after lunch, I, I closed my office door and, and on my knees to pray. All of a sudden, a, um, um, one of my church uh, uh, sisters' face popped up in my mind. So, in fact, I didn't really know her that much. What I know is she's a single parent, have two kids, and uh, I was trying to, uh, I was praying for her. All of a sudden, my tears just rolled down my face. I just cannot stop it. And I specifically say, Lord, I pray to God. I mean, I pray that the unemployment won't come to her because she needs the job to support her kids. And after that, after some more prayers, and um, I stopped. And then a few hours later, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. The Holy Spirit said, Call her and tell her that you pray for her. I said, Lord, you kidding me? No, I'm not going to do this. I mean, pray for someone is just a natural thing. Besides, I mean, I don't want to be embarrassed. So then I just said, no. And then a couple of hours later, the Holy Spirit come back and, 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 and asked me to go ahead, I mean, to, to call my sisters and, and to tell her that I call, uh, I pray for her. I, again, I said, no. Again, the third times. But this time, the Holy Spirit louder. The voice is louder. And then I look at the clock. Wow, it was like 10, 40 something at night after I, uh, I put my kids, my younger one, to sleep. So I, I said, Lord, I surrender. And then I pick up the call. I mean, I pick up the phone and call my sister. I said, uh, sister, uh, today I, I, I pray for, I mean, I pray for you. I just explained the reason why I call her. And she right away, she asked me this question. When did you pray for me? I said, between 1.30 to 2. And then she said, yes, today I was in big trouble because um, I, was, uh, I was being complained uh, something wrong. I mean, I did something wrong. And then I had a big meeting between 12 to 3 with the HR um, uh, departments and some of the supervisors' managers. But now everything is over because they found out that I didn't do anything wrong. So now I'm okay. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. I thank God that I call her because, and I thank God that I submit to the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, in my life, I would have no chance to find out what had happened to my sister on that day. So yes, we have to completely submit. It doesn't matter big or, I mean, big and small things, but what we need is to submit to Christ completely. Amen. And Thomas Kempis once said this, Jesus has many who, have, who love his kingdom in heaven, but few who bear his cross. He has many who desire comfort, but few who desire suffering. He finds many to share his feast, but few his fasting. All decide to rejoice with him, but few are willing to suffer for his sake. Many follow Jesus to the breaking of bread, but few to the drinking of the cup of his passion. Many admire his miracles, but few follow him in the humiliation of his cross. Many love Jesus as long as no hardship touches them. Many praise and bless him as long as they are receiving any comfort from him. So remember, we submit to our Lord in all things, yes. small and big. Amen. 
areas, not selectively. So to close, I want to challenge you all with this question. Are you ready and willing to carry your cross and submit to Jesus Christ to follow and to do his will? May our Lord bless you with all his word. God bless. Thank you. Tonight, the topic of my message is Sanctified for Simplified Service. Right. The discipline I'll be looking at is the discipline of simplicity. Right. Father, we thank you that you are here, and we know because you are here, your word will go about and accomplish what it was sent to do. We bless everything that you will do tonight, and we just give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The text I'll be looking at tonight is John 17, verses 6 to 19. I'm going to go ahead and read because I, I won't, with time I'll just go ahead and read and you can listen. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not, not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. There ended the reading of God's holy word. Amen. The evangelist John tells us that hours before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, he prayed to his father for his disciples. Jesus knew he was leaving his disciples in an evil world, a world in which they did not belong and would be hated. Therefore, he wanted them to be protected. Jesus accomplished all that the Father had given him to do. He taught his disciples the word of God. He 
revealed God's attributes and character to them and kept them safe from the evil one by the power of his name. But there was an exception. Judas Iscariot fulfilled scriptures and betrayed him. On the other hand, the disciples, having been taught the word of God, accepted and obeyed. They understood that Jesus came from God and that everything that Jesus had was given to him by God. Jesus did not pray for the world. Instead, he prayed for his disciples. He prayed that they would have been united with, with each other, just as he was united with God. He prayed that they would have, a, have the full measure of joy within them, that they will be protected from the evil one, and finally, that they will be sanctified by truth, the living and written word. Jesus' prayer for the disciples then is applicable to us here, now. Scriptures tell us that he continually intercedes for us before his Father. The element of Jesus' prayer that I'll be focusing on tonight is the request that he made for his disciples that they be sanctified by the word of truth. According to Miriam Webster Online Dictionary, the word sanctified means to be set apart, to be consecrated for sacred use or for religious purposes. And the word truth means a state of character of being true and authentic, sincerity of action, character, and utterance. Jesus knew that his disciples had to be set apart for the purpose of worshiping and serving God. They had to be separated from the evil in the world and be dedicated to God. He knew that the only means of sanctification was by the truth, which is both the living word of God and the written word of God. This sanctification was life-transforming. And it was the one-time thing. It was an ongoing process for the disciples. It exposed the errors of their lives that needed to be changed. It changed their characters, actions, and utterances. Growing up in Jamaica, we raised um, chickens in our backyards, and chickens were allowed to roam, to go to and fro as they, as they felt. And what I noticed, that, noticed and as I looked, as I prepared and I thought about it, they would go about scouring the, the, the surface of the earth to, for the food particles that were there. Food particles either from scrapings or whatever they were. But as they, clean, as they removed all that were visible, they moved their beaks side to side, scratching the surface, going layer to layer to remove the things that were hidden the thing that would have been trampled. Mm. Eventually, sometimes they will they will come up with a worm, which would have been the great thing for them. Mm -hmm. um, this, tonight, the the, the 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 Holy Spirit is the one who the chicken in this situation is the represents the Holy Spirit, and the beak is actually the Word of God. The earth represents our hearts and the food particles are the sins and the various sin practices that are embedded in our lives. Some of them are surface, so we know the big sins, the, the sexual immoralities, and we know them. We know the abortion, and we can list them. But their underlying are the sins that we have lived with, the deception, the, 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 mis the distrust, 
the, the lack of integrity, the, 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 the thing that we do from we're child, children that we have been accustomed to doing and we have accepted them and said they are the norm. And, and actually some of us will say, that's me. We are aware that some of these things are more than others. But God is saying to us today, whatever sin patterns they are, I want to sanctify you. Amen. When my word sanctifies you, you are changed. Even for some of us in the room who may not be able to trust God as a father because our earthly father has damaged us. Or we have been abused in a situation. And God is saying, when I sanctify you, when the word comes and change you, you are changed. Yes. So let us look at the benefits the disciples receive from being sanctified by the word of God. The disciples were set apart by Jesus. The living word and the written word. Jesus' disciple, Jesus' willingness to die on the cross, set him apart to do his father's will so that he restored the opportunity for relationship with God and became the only access to God's presence. By accepting, obeying, and applying the living and written word of God, yes. the disciples gained access to God's presence through Jesus. They were separated from the world, dedicated to God, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, were sanctified and healed from the sins of their past. They received comfort and hope in the midst of their hardship and pain and were able to oppose every corrupt opinion and precepts. Just like the disciples, we too are called and set apart. We too are called to be dedicated to God because it's not about just being set apart, but you have to be set apart for something. Yes. So they were set apart to worship. They were set apart to be dedicated to God. Yes. Come on. With the help of the Holy Spirit, when we accept, obey, and apply the word of God to our lives, we are set free and set apart from our sins and the pains of our past. Point number two, the disciples were set apart for service. They were called, they were commissioned, they were equipped for sacred service. They were sent into the world to be as, as Jesus, to, to be just as Jesus was sent into the world. Yes. So what they did, they did what they saw Jesus doing. Yes. They said what they saw Jesus saying. Yes. They, they became the very presence of God. They embodied the presence of God, bearing witness of his love. And they loved, they offered their lives in service through preaching. And they offered their, their, their lives to, through taking the good news of Jesus. Come on. Despite our race. So whether we are black, pink, purple. Whether we are women or men. Whether we are young or old. We too are called. We too are called to embody the presence of Christ. To take his name. To share with the world his love. We are commissioned. Because we are gifted with the ministerial gifts to go. And to become disciples of Christ. The third point tonight is that the disciples were set apart. But guess what? They were pruned to be more fruitful. Yes. So first, they were set apart unto God. They were set apart for service. Yes. And now they are set apart to be fruitful. Yes. They rejected the life of duplicity that promotes independence and dedicated themselves to a life of simplicity by depending on God. 
according to Richard Foster in the book Celebration of Discipline, a life of simplicity is an inward reality that manifests itself in outward actions that reveals the heart. That is as clear as day. Yes. Our actions dictate what is in our heart. You can't mask that. So we can say we are. For instance, I remember speaking to a lady and she said, I'm so gifted. I'm so gifted. And I said, in what way are you gifted? She can't share her giftedness. Come on now. The disciples recognized that their homes were not of this world. So they needed to be sincere in action, speech, and character. They learned that storing up treasures on earth was not the thing to do. So what did they do? They, were, they learned to love despite the fact that they were hated. They learned to praise even through hardship. They humbled themselves and served instead of requiring to be served. They learned peace even in the midst of turmoil. They sought joy, and they learned to be contented with what they had without lusting for status, affluence, or position. Yes. They learned to forgive yes. instead of harboring bitterness. Yes. The sanctification process taught them to live lives free from pretense, falsehood, deceit, and the bondage of possession. They recognized that everything they had was a gift from God. Yes. And therefore, it was not theirs to keep, but to share. Amen. They became compassionate, and so they gave generously, not sparingly, so they were not only into the 10% tithing. They recognized that their security and identity came from God, and not from what they own, or from who they knew. As disciples of Christ, are we putting our treasures on earth are we compassionate like the disciples? Are we learning to love? Because it's easy to say I'm loving, but can you love knowing that you are hated? Well, come on. And we need to look at that. Jesus has left a legacy for you to follow, and he has given you the Holy Spirit as a guide. He wants to set us, he wants to set you apart from your sins so that you can live, live serving and worshiping God. He wants to set you apart for service. He wants to set you apart for a life of simplicity so that you can be more fruitful. Amen. We are called to live lives that are sanctified for simplified service. Amen. So we may stop and we may wonder, we may say with all our insecurities and inadequacies that we may, may come to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't because I am this. Or Lord, I can't because I'm that. Are you sure that you're calling me? Smith Bigglesworth was set apart for God, even though he was uneducated. Amen. And he became known as a God, one, one of God's generals. A.W. Tozer was set apart for God, and so he abandoned the worldly comforts in favor of a deeper life that comes from following Christ. A.B. Simpson was set apart for God, despite his childhood illnesses. He founded Christian Missionary Alliance, and today we are here, a part of Nyack. Yeah. Richard Allen was set apart for God despite being born into slavery. Yeah. And where are we today? We are in the Amy Church, all because of man dare to go where they say black people could not have gone. Yeah. Amy Carmichael was set apart as a woman. Yeah. Despite her gender, she became a missionary to India. Yeah. My grandmother, Amy Lewin, was set apart. Yeah. Despite the fact that she was a poor widow, she trusted God, and guess hey. what? 
I am the legacy standing before you today. You know that I too am called. I too am set apart to do the work of God. Amen. Let the church say amen. amen. I thank God for these two preaching sisters that came before me and provided so much energy, so much spiritual energy for tonight. I'm going to be preaching or attempting to do so on the discipline of solitude. The discipline of solitude. And I'm going to entitle this message, More Maintenance, More Mileage. More maintenance, more mileage. Let us pray. Father, you tell us in your word that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of you and not of us. Bring your power right now, dear God. Bring it through me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 There's something special going on tonight. Amen. And there's something special in each person in this room. Yes. God reminds us that we have a treasure. Yes. We are clay pots with a treasure inside. Amen. And he wants us to bring that treasure forward. And he wants us to bring that treasure forward by sometimes going down into solitude and being with him. Yes. Uh, someone once said that solitude is a place of purification. It's a place of honesty. It's a place of holiness. It's a place of comfort. And I want to use an Old Testament passage to talk about a New Testament Christ tonight. Psalms 46 and 10. Psalms 46 and 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. More maintenance, more mileage. More maintenance, more mileage. It's pretty simple to say, but it's sometimes difficult to understand that we need maintenance in our lives. All of our cars outside need maintenance from time to time. The roof on our buildings need maintenance from time to time. Our very own bodies need maintenance from time to time. You need to get to that gym or at least get to that doctor for that checkup to get your body some of the necessary maintenance that is required. But it is so easy in this fast-paced world to sometimes skip over the necessary. Forget to get your oil changed and wonder why your car don't work. Put your put the roof repair on the back burner, and then you got buckets in your house catching the water that's falling in. Putting our bodies on the back burner, you know there are certain things you're not supposed to eat, and you eat them anyway. Come on now. But we need to we need to provide maintenance for our bodies. That's right, somebody. And when we do that, we we sometimes miss the tranquil times, the quiet peace that God is giving us. Maintenance is required for the spiritual part of our lives as well. And that maintenance can be provided through the discipline of solitude. Don't miss the chance to be in solitude, quiet time with Jesus. This first point I want to bring out, this first observation says, 
living in two worlds. We live in two worlds. We live in this workaday world, some people call it. We have to go out and earn our bread and, and pay our bills and provide for our children and go to grocery stores and pay car notes. And it just doesn't, every time I see the mailman, I say, please don't come to my house. Because you never bring any money. You only bring bills. This Old Testament verse tells us to be still. Christ knew what that Old Testament was all about because he studied the Old Testament. Yes. Word after word after word. And he lived in that workaday world. His work was a little bit different than ours. He went about healing and comforting and preaching and raising the dead. But even that became exhausting at times. And Christ himself had to steal away for some quiet time in solitude. He knew what it meant to be still and know. He taught us what it meant to be still and know. He said in the Old Testament that God will defend the city. God will defend the people. The very definition, the Hebrew definition of be still in the Old Testament is to surrender. Is to let go. Is to stop striving. We don't understand that in New York, in our fast-paced microwave society. We don't understand what it means to stop striving. But God wants us to be still and let go. Why? Because God is our refuge. He is our comfort. Jesus is teaching us the, is the importance of solitude. Teaching us to be in the world, but not of the world. We function every day in this world, but in this portion of the year, at least this portion of the year, we should use these 40 days to be in solitude with Christ, to leave that fast-paced world that we deal with every day and move to another world of tranquility, a world of peace, a world where God is, a world where we can provide some maintenance in our lives that gives us more mileage. The second observation is that we have a model for mileage. Christ provided a model for mileage. 46.10 says we need to stop fighting the way we are wired. We need to stop fighting. the God wired us a certain way. To be in unison and in connection with him. We need to learn to experience more intimacy with God. What Myra Perrin calls in her book, What's Your Language? A unique spiritual circuitry. A connection to God that only we have as his children. God made us a certain way. He made us for certain reasons. And sometimes we just can't figure out why. Until we go into deep examination and intimate encounters in solitude. Personally, I spend a great deal of time in solitude. I, I, I jumped at the sheet to write my name in the solitude section. I work at home. I study at home. I'm there a lot by myself. I have a wife and three sons. And I can't wait for them to leave in the morning. 
I, don't tell my wife I said that. I love them dearly. But when they leave, it is just so peaceful. No TV. No radio. Just me and the laptop and the dog. And it's quiet and it's peaceful in solitude. My mother tells a story that when I was a young child, I would steal away from the other children and just sit in the corner and play with simple things like ice cream sticks. I didn't have a whole lot of toys. I played with whatever I had. But it was a time for me to play alone. I've gone from playing alone to praying alone. And I feel the benefits in my life. Jesus often got away by himself. He had to get away from the people at times. He had to get away into silence and solitude as a means of getting closer to God to minister better to the people. That's how he used his solitude. Matthew 4.1 says Jesus was led by the Spirit up into the wilderness. Matthew 14.10 said he withdrew in a boat and secluded himself. Matthew 14.23 says... After the crowds had been sent away, he went up to a mountain to pray by himself. Luke 6 and 12 says, now it came to pass that in those days he continued in prayer all night. As we are attempting to do tonight. And then came the Garden of Gethsemane. And he went into the garden and he took a few disciples with him and he sent them to the side. And he says, just hang out here for a little while while I go into solitude and pray. Thirdly and lastly, unlock his love. Unlock his love. We know that we're living in two worlds. We know that Jesus was a model for mileage. But thirdly and lastly, let's unlock his love. Much has been made this week of a very famous iPhone. A phone that is locked. A phone that reportedly belonged to one of the San Bernardino terrorists. And the FBI wants the Apple company to unlock this phone. They want them to build the software. The man, Tim Cook, said, I don't have a software, and if I had it, I wouldn't give it to you. So there's a big controversy between the FBI and Apple. Apple's got more money than some countries. And the FBI's got more power than anybody I know. So these are two powerful forces coming together to unlock something. Well, let me tell you something. I met a man who told me all about myself. I met a man who looked me in the face and told me all about little Timmy Fraley from Brooklyn, New York. His name is Jesus. He told me if I follow him, he would unlock any door that I wanted to go through. He would unlock the, the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He's got the keys tonight. I'm not worried about Apple or the FBI. Because Jesus has the keys. And in solitude we can find a connection to Jesus. And he can unlock anything that we need opened. The scripture said when they led him to the cross. He never said a mumbling word. He went to the cross in solitude. When they strung him up on the cross, he didn't scream out for his friends to come and help and to rescue. And mama, why are they doing this to me? He was there in solitude. When they, when they, when they laid him down in that grave, when they thought they had him, when they thought that it was all over, Jesus just laid there. 
in solitude. And when he got up, he got up with all power in his hand. And he told us that if we would follow him, and if we would go down in solitude, he would give us more mileage for the journey. More maintenance, more mileage. Amen. Amen. spiritual discipline which is a worship I just picked the um, chapter John I mean John chapter 4 19 to 30 um, when you get into the sanctuary how many door you pass through two easy question right so I'm gonna talk about my church my church has the same same step like we have a two door but I have only all the steps has only one key at the very first door if we want to get into the sanctuary, we need to open the first door. And then we would just walk down to the basement, and then walking out back, and then open the second door inside the sanctuary. How hard is it? I do not want to open myself. Even the early morning prayer, even the meeting, I don't want to do it. Because it's hard to walking up? No. There is a lot of coverage. And the basement is wet and smelly. Oh my God, there was a lot of cockroaches in me. I so, I can't talk with them. <laughs> yeah, there is a small door. I just walk in through the basement. I can't hear the cockroaches are moving it. As soon as I turn right, what's happening? Cockroach runs towards the dark spot. They're moving away. In a second, they just move away. That's why I don't want to open myself. It's kind of scary. That's the one reason I hate to do it. Because of cockroach. As soon as I walk into the basement, I just turn to the right. I don't want to see their face. So when I turn to the right, I met the cockroach. And I just so that runs away to from the right. Why? When I looked at, I realized that showing us who we are. That lie me. Cockroach runs away from the dark spot. Mm. Hide them. The fact that is, light of the truth is shown the center. We are the center. The ch uh, chapter 4, verse 16 to 18, we all know about this story. Samaritan woman who was Jews, thought unclean <laughs> and impure person. Besides, Jesus knew she had a five husband. Even she lived with a man who is not husband. Jesus knew she is a sinner. Sinner has to go away like cockroach. You know, he just moved away, runs away, like Adam and Eve did when they fall, right? But she did not run. She just kept on talking conversation with the Jesus. When we see ourselves during the week, sometimes it's very hard to come out to God on Sunday worship or even tonight. Because we know we are sinner, right? We want to run away, hide from God. However, look at this woman. She stayed with Jesus. Have a conversation. We have to stay with God. He's our Father. He came to us and tells us who we are, 
Do not judge ourselves. Stay with who is our Father. Just admit we are sinner. That's the truth. That's not the line. We're just saying like, oh, we're sinner. We we don't want. We can't come from God. But that's the truth. Shows us our sin, who we are, and we can go for the worship. Worship, I think, worship is admitting ourselves as a sinner. But still, just come to God as who we are. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, even though he knows she's a sinner, he said, believe me. Jesus said, just believe me. That's it. Even if we are midst of the darkness, we are sinners. Then Jesus said to just believe me. We do not have to become a person that who worship, who can worship, who can praise to God. Worship does not have come have to become holy person, holy place. It does not to be. As a Christian, we thought about Jesus can reveal me. He is the only one who can reveal who we are. God just wants to our worship, just who we are. Not just like praising, like have a good song, drumming, praise team. Doesn't matter. Worship, I think, this is the only thing. We know we are sinner, but still, God calls us, God tells us, believe me. Verse 23, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and the truth. When we heard this passage, more than a million times at the church, even though my Sunday school little kids didn't remember that verse. But look back, our worship, is it, was it spirit and truth? Even though we are pastor, even though we are preaching, still, come on. When we met the Jesus, truth comes up. We are the sinner. I hope that we just came to God. God, I am sinner. I am sinner. But just accept who we are. As the verse that Jesus, stay with me. Now believe in you. Worship is not about how we live, how we act, how we pray, how we praise. It truly admit who we are, the sinner, who we are as a sinner, and Jesus' love and forgiveness reveals us as a child of God. This is true worship and how we worship God. Worship God is tells me the truth that who I am. Don't be doubted. Don't be shamed. Be me as God loves me. Being his child, this is the worship. I just want to pray for it. Think about it. That how we worship God. On Sunday, on Friday night, middle of the week, how we worship God, even though we're a seminary student. Lord, we want to worship you, Lord, yes. that you adopted as us as a child. We want to worship you, not just holy place, holy praise, holy pray, 
not being a seminary student, not being a pastor, just who we are. Lord, we are a sinner, but still you told me, believe in me, believes me. We want to believe in you, and we want to worship your word. Bring us back to that you created us. Thank you for forgiving us and loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 4. You want me to read it? 
Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read it. The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into the great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curse you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went him uh, went uh, with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. My topic is this: I got your back. Say each other, share it. I got your back. Say it loud. God got my back. Amen for that. Amen. See, when I pray about this, Lord, how can I, you know, preach about this message? Keep, don't worry about it. I got your back. God sometimes asks us irrational things. Sometimes we don't understand. Thank you for the word. See, God kind of us. Because you need water, so God gave to us. Raise your hand if you need water. I'm gonna keep going. All right. Sorry, Bob. So, all right. Sometimes God told us, like you know, He told Abraham, and God sometimes asks us go without showing us nothing. Right? Without without showing us anything, He just He just told us just go. But I'm gonna show. I'm gonna share with you three things. When God guided us. He always promised with us something. He always plans something for our life. And that surely will be done as by His will. First one. Please, please. We are seminarians. We study Bible. How many people can believe the Bible? That's my question. And I always ask myself, do I believe the Bible? Mm. Let me ask you one question. Is this Abraham's story is yours or only for him? Come on now. Let me tell you this. This is my story. When we study the Bible, I know I understand we have to ask Jesus. Right? And we have to study the word Hebrew and Greek. I understand that. Does it help you to believe the Bible? The Abraham, when God told him to go, God always promised us. God always promised with clear thing. That is always stated in the verse two and three. I will make you a great nation. And those who bless you are blessed. Those who curse you are cursed. Don't worry about it. Just believe me. And see, and say, hold the promise. And everyone wept. This is what we have to do. Guidance. You know what God always, I think before you come to the seminary, I think I'll show you a clear picture. Did you hold it still? Do you hold it still? 
or do you looking something else? Because you love something. The study. Or do you hold the Bible, His words? Because He promised you, not even to me, even to you, He promised you. Because, because of you and through you, this world will be transformed. Do you believe that? We must have the faith. We must believe that His promise. If not, nothing will be happening. Even though God show you clear picture, even though God show you clear vision, if you don't believe it, His promise, He will not work through you. Remember that. When He show you, when He promise you, hold it. Don't doubt about it. That's what Abraham did. And when I saw Abraham, and I, 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 I confess myself, this is my story, so I must keep your promise. And I believe you will be done. Your will through me. This guidance. When God guides us, He always promised something. And He always planned, you know, the new things through that 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 will be done through you. He always planned. He does not use you without plan. He called you because He has plan. I'm Asian. I'm Korean. He called me to spread gospel to Korean or any any diverse you know diversity you know ethnic groups. And here, see, we have couple you know different ethnic groups. And God called you. To share the gospel, and he got your back. Amen. The second thing is that I want to share. The second thing, um, the second thing is yes, second thing. Now I want to share that. You know what? You know what? Do you think that you have faith? You do. Oh, you know what? Expect that. Those who said you have faith, you will experience new things this week. I don't know what's going to be. I don't know what it's going to be. But God will give you time to experience that you have faith or not. Yes. Let me tell you this. We don't have faith. I'm not a Harris. I'm not a Harris. I'm not a pig. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. Why? The faith only comes from the heaven. It is because the faith, the Bible, the Roman, Roman, um, Roman chapter, uh, chapter 10 and 17, it says, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. If you never heard of Jesus Christ, you have no faith. And the verse, chapter 3, Romans chapter 3 and 10, it says, There is no righteous man, not even one. Only righteous man has faith. That's what we call Jesus Christ. If you don't believe Jesus Christ, you have nothing. Jesus Christ, He came from the heaven. 
and the word came from the heaven. If you don't receive, if you don't believe the message, you have no faith at all. The verse 4 says, So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. That's the point. Because the Lord says, because the Lord gave him a message, he had faith. So he went. Without his help, without the help of the Holy Spirit, no one can have the faith. We must believe his message. The message gives you faith. That's who we are. You know what? If you don't have faith, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Just keep hearing. Just keep seeing. Keep reading the Bible. As first earlier I said, earlier I mentioned, this is the guidance. This is everything. What am I supposed to do without the message? We are Christians. I know we are seminarians, but before that, we are Christian. Mm -hmm. We study the Bible, but if we don't believe the message, do we have a power? No. With knowledge, do you think that we can, you know, change others' heart or their pers you know, personality? No. Only through Jesus Christ and the message. If you believe this, and it has to be done. The, every, all the messages is already done in your life. That is power. <clears throat> if you don't have any experience, even the Bible already told you and gave, gave you examples. If that this, you never experienced it, then how could you spread the gospel to others? How could you introduce mm -hmm. Jesus Christ? non-believers because you don't have experience the Bible gives you faith please as I said God got your back don't worry about anything right we have faith that we came here we got a good grade <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> we have that faith. Yes, yes, we can pray. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. See, that means that she's she's you know, she's powerful than God. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. But anyway, <laughs> like that, like that. Please, please, have faith. And you must ask God, please give me faith. Give me faith. Faith that Jesus had. And the last point is this. Please move your step forward. Once you decided, put it into action. If you don't move, God will never do anything in your life. For instance, Joshua 3.15, he says, Israelites 
They faced with the Jordan River. They have to cross the river. What happened? We all know that, right? Because we are saving everything. <laughs> Four priests. They carry the ark, and they start move towards the river. The verse fourteen it says the water was flood. The water stream was fast. But they had a faith. If we just go with faith, then God will do something in our life. So one, two priests, they go, nothing happened. The other two priests, they put their feet into the river. What happened? Maybe nothing, but the Bible says, once they, once the four priests' feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. We need to take our steps forward. You know what? This is a very important point. See right there. No, see here. <laughs> see right here. Here's the cross. Right in front of you, in front of you, right? We all know we have to carry this cross. But only few people carry that. Not many people, they love to go narrow path. Not many people love to carry their cross. Let me ask you, and this is, my, I'm asking myself, do I carry the cross? We study the Bible and read the theology. Do we really carry the cross? Have you ever tear for the lost soul? Or be, or be this, you know, your life is so busy because of School work. Preach. Think about it. <laughs> you know what? When we see the cross, you must step forward. Go. Don't worry. Why? Because God got our back. Yes. Amen. Amen. Make I'm going to close this one. When he asks us something, please, guidance is so simple. Believe it, have faith, and go. That's guidance. So you have a message. Believe it. Have faith. And go. That's what we have to do. Amen? Lastly, see each other. Say, God got your back. And I got your back. Amen?
church say amen. Amen. Let the church say amen again. Amen. Amen. Certainly we honor the Lord on tonight and we, amen, we give honor to him. Our Dr. Lucas, amen. Amen. For putting this all together for us. I'm going to move kind of quickly. Those of you that have your Bibles, let's turn quickly to Isaiah, the sixth chapter. And I'm going to read uh, those six verses. The text will be found in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, but I'll read the first six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphims and each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, mm-hmm. with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I have lived uh, among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphims flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. All right, and we're going to stop there. Spiritual discipline I was given for tonight is worship. And I'm going to use for a subject worship as a tool for soul cultivation. Worship as a tool for soul cultivation. Uh, We have been asked to discuss the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines, in my opinion, are the tools that help till the soil of the soul, so that the fruit of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, can grow, and so that the weeds are pulled more up more easily. The tool of prayer, the tool of solitude, the tool of fasting, the tool of study, the tool of praise, and all of the rest of the spiritual disciplines uh, are instrumental in doing that. Richard Foss in his book talks about the disciplines that deal with the sin that is in our lives. Our ordinary method of dealing with ingrained sin is to launch a frontal attack. We rely on willpower and determination. Uh, But for the sake of time, uh, we're going to talk about um, worship today. In order to do it justice, it will require a series of sermons, and we know that we don't have time for that. Amen. So we're going to just talk about worship as a tool of soul cultivation. Uh, The points that we want to make, first of all, about this is the tool of worship helps us to catch a glimpse or to catch a vision of God. 
the tool of cultivate of, of worship helps us to catch a vision of ourselves. The tool of worship helps us to catch a vision of God's grace. And finally, the tool of worship helps us to catch a vision of our calling. Now, we know we're not going to finish that, but we, we, we're going to do our 10 minutes and sit down. <laughs> Amen. Right, when we look at the verse, we get a glimpse of the one true God. When we see him in this text, we see him seated, seated in an exalted position on his throne. The obstacles that obscure our vision must be removed so that we can see God clearly. When we as Christians learn to lift our voices in praise, stand in silence before him, kneel in prayer, dance, lie prostrate, and hear the word and pray, even in the midst of all of our pain, disappointment, loss, and sickness, we can see God. It is then that we can catch a vision of God. The Bible in the book of Psalms talks about the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. In that moment, God comes and dwells among the praises of those who have lifted and extended their hands and lifted their voices. In this vision, he is seated on the throne. Amen. I said in this vision, in the text, he is seated on the throne. Our fellow Christians, all of heaven, along with the angels who are around the throne, see God revealing himself in his exalted position. And when they see that, they raise their voices with a thundering praise to God, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. In worship, we come to know God in ways that we can't just uh, know him by reading about him in a book or even in the Bible. It is different, or there's a difference between seeing a photo of a friend and seeing a friend in person. Yes. Secondly, in the vision, not only is he called, is he exalted, and, 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 and is he exalted, but he's powerful. You see him in a powerful state. All of heaven bows in his presence yes. and calls him the Lord Almighty. Yes. Lord Almighty is a compound title used to reveal something about the character of our God. It yes. must be broken down. Yes. According to the expository dictionary of Bible words written by Lawrence Richards, the title or word or name Lord is interpreted Jehovah or Yahweh. Yes. and is associated with his redemptive name and nature. Yes. The author says that this title, uh, name, reveals God's ability to intervene in history on behalf of his people. Yes. The name or title almighty means armies. When you put them together, the Lord almighty is often interchangeable with 
the title that we said, The Lord of Hosts. This vision reveals that he is in command of all the forces and armies of both heaven and earth. We need to understand that when we use the spiritual discipline of worship, we do not have to fear any enemy. Because the Almighty is in the midst of our worship. When we begin to worship, cancer doesn't stand a chance. When we begin to worship in the presence of God, diabetes doesn't stand a chance. When we begin to worship in the presence of God, AIDS doesn't stand a chance. Unemployment doesn't stand a chance. Depression doesn't stand a chance. Poverty doesn't stand a chance. Amen. Nothing can stand up to the Lord Almighty. Can you say amen? This is just an affirmation of the scripture which declares the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. This is enough to make anybody begin to worship God. Who wouldn't worship a God like that? With someone so powerful that in his presence, amen, sickness dries up. Amen. Glory to God. Nothing can touch you. Who would not serve a God like that? Amen. I'm getting close to my 10 minutes. The third thing revealed in the vision is glory. Amen. I said the third thing revealed in the vision is glory. And in this sense, a verse we can see God enrolled in all of his glory. The primary word used for glory in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word kabad. Amen. This word is associated with weight or heaviness. Amen. This is used in association with an impressive or worthy person. Another word, another meaning for the word glory is linked to God disclosing or revealing himself. It is used to imply God revealing himself in the earthly universe to associate with his people. Then he stepped down and they began to see his glory. Amen. Glory to God. How many want to see the glory of God in our lives? Amen. We've got to learn to use the tool and the discipline of worship that when we lift our hands and when we lift our voices and praise and adoration to God, amen, he'll come in the midst of us and reveal himself. Hallelujah.
Amen. Come on, give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, man. This mic is hot. Come on, give God one more praise for me. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said, Dr. Lucas set me up. We should have. Amen. But God is good. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We could just go up from there. Amen. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I have uh, the, the discipline of fasting. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that the entrance of your word brings light. We thank you, God, that he that has an ear will hear what the Spirit says to the church. Come, Holy Spirit, and have your way even in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 My text tonight will come from Matthew's chapter number 6, verses 16 through 18. And it says, Moreover, excuse me, moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. But verily I say unto you, they that have the, they have their reward. But thou when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The word of the Lord is blessed. And my topic is fasting on purpose. Right. <laughs> Amen. I don't know how many of you came up in a church like I did. Uh, they used to call fasting, turning your plate down. Yeah. Anybody remember that? Turning your plate down. Turn your plate down, baby. Turn your plate down. And my former church, they used to put us on fast all the time. Uh, they didn't explain why we were going on the fast, but we just knew we couldn't want folks to eat. And I just thought they didn't want me to eat. I could stand to lose some weight, but I didn't want to. So, but they put us on fast, and they didn't. And I just thought it was a denial of food. But I, as I begin to grow, I understood and understand that it's a practice that will strengthen your spiritual growth. Yeah. Amen. And anybody in here, all of us in here, know Jesus, I believe. And when you have encountered him, you don't want to just stay on level one, but you want to grow and grow and grow. And what I have learned that fasting will help you get closer to the father. Richard Foster says that in most cases, fasting is a private matter between the individual and God. There's one thing about fasting. Fasting will expose you to yourself. Fasting will show you your areas where you need God to really search your heart. You think you got it all together, but when you start fasting, you really, when those hunger pains, you realize you got a bad attitude. You might need the Holy Ghost to turn the light on you. You recognize that there's some areas in your life that you need God to help you with even more. And our text tonight, Jesus is doing a teaching on fasting. And he's saying, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites. In other words, don't bring attention to yourself. Fasting is our devotion to God, and it should focus solely on him. 
when we fast, we're not to acknowledge um, ourselves and we are not to fast for public praise or public applause. Because I recognize public praise or public praise and applause only last for a moment. But when God is pleased with your offering, your offering unto him, he will reward you. Because people will pat you on the back. But when God is pleased, there will be a reward that when you did it in secret, he'll see that you are blessed openly. When you understand also the benefits of fasting, you're not just fasting for a blessing. You're not just fasting, you know, because we live in this time where everything is naming and claiming, blabbing and grabbing, speaking and saying. But I'm understanding it's not just for a car or a house. But it's, I believe God is calling for mature people that say, I don't need a car, I don't need a house, but I do need you, God. And I want you more and more today than I had you on yesterday. And what you give me today won't be enough for tomorrow. So I need you to fill my cup till I overflow. Hallelujah. If we are fasting for public applause and recognition, Jesus said they have their reward. They have their reward. Verse 17, he said, Be now, be thou now when you fast, and anoint thy head and wash thy face. He was talking to the Pharisees who was doing it just as a religious practice. They were just doing it to say, I'm doing it. You know how we know if we're not careful, we can get caught up in religion. Just to do it just because it's been done. But God is looking for relationship. Not just to do it because you've been, everybody's done it. Because in the older church that I came up out of, although I'm young, but I came up out of an older church, they just did it and we did it because they told us to do it. They didn't tell me that as I'm doing it, I'm going to get to know Jesus better. But when I begin to grow, I recognize when I turn my plate down, baby, the Lord starts speaking to me on another level. Hallelujah. I can hear God clearer than I can hear when I'm packing in the, the cheesecake and when I'm stuffing in the french fries and when I'm eating all the potatoes. I hear God when I can put myself aside for a consecrated time. He said, anoint thy head. And the message Bible says, when you go into training inwardly, Act normal outwardly, shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, and wash your face. So in essence, I don't have to look like I'm spending time with God. I know I'm spending time with God, and the glow of God will start radiating out of my life. I don't have to walk down the street and wear bumper stickers and, cut and, and, and name backs and say I'm saved. When I start spending time with God, when I walk in the atmosphere, it ought to change. Because when I start spending time with God, the anointing that is on my life begins to magnify in a way that I cannot buy it. You can't give it to me. I can't be a given it by man. But when you spend time in the presence of the Lord and when you're fasting, God will set you aside and set you up. And do something what only he can do. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We ought to have joy and excitement. Uh-huh. We ought to be excited to fast. I told you when I was fasting when I was younger, I was not happy because I was not eating. Wow. And I did not understand that it was not, it was so much more than not just eating, but it was time that I was offering unto God. Okay. It was my offering unto God. Because now that I'm older and more mature in God, I don't just look for what he can give me, but I look what I can offer to him. It may, it's nothing in comparison, but it's what I got, God. And I understand if I give you what I got, you can magnify it and multiply it, and my little becomes much when I put it in the hands of God. 
when we are fasting, when we are moving in God, we realize that when we can hear his word more clearly and his word becomes our food. You become a lover of God's word. You become not just a Bible carrier, but you recognize that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Verse 18, it says that, uh, went that uh, excuse me, that appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Fasting gives you the opportunity to turn down the volume of life so your spirit man can hear God. You turn down the volume of life because life talks loud. But when I set myself aside, when I turn off the TV, when I put Facebook on pause and Instagram on delete or silent, when I can say, this time belongs to you, God, what you want to say? What I'm here, God, what you, I'll meet you when you want me to meet you. I'll wake up in the middle of the night, whatever you say, I want to know you and what you're saying right now. The message Bible says, when you do that, he won't overlook what you're doing, but he will reward you. Hallelujah. He will reward you. And I recognize when man gives you something, it can be taken away. But when God gives it, it can stick forever. John Wesley declares, first let fasting be done unto the Lord with our eye singly fixed on him. Let our intention herein be this. And this alone to glorify our Father, which is in heaven. I'll just close on this. In our church in January, we went on a fast. And there was a young lady in our church who had never fasted intensely before. But she made a commitment that she was going to fast and be committed to the fasting this time. In between our fasting, she has a baby, an infant. He's about a year and a half. He had a seizure. And the seizure was sudden and it was drastic. He went, he started turning blue. He went limp and he went lifeless. But she, when she told the testimony in church, she said, as I was standing and not seeing my baby not moving, I didn't know what to do. But she said, all of a sudden I felt this peace come on me. And she said, and the Holy Spirit began to download in my spirit instruction on what to do to save my child. Never went to first aid. Never had a CPA, uh, uh, one of those classes where you get instructions. Never had a first aid course. But the Holy Ghost told her what to do. Because she had been spending time with him. And she had been not, her ears weren't filled with what was the best song on the radio. Her ears weren't filled with what this person's gossip was about. Her eyes wasn't filled with what she saw on Facebook. She wasn't thinking about the pictures on Instagram. But she had been reading her word. And she had been spending time with God. And the Holy Ghost had clear passage to download into her spirit the instruction that she would need that would save her seed. And what am I trying to tell you? When you make a commitment to fast, we're going to have challenges and obstacles. You know how the French fries are going to look extra good. You're going to be trying to look at something on TV and right at that time, they're going to have Wendy's 4 for 4, Burger King 5 for 4, other footlongs going on sale at Subway. You know how it's going to work. You're going to get a coupon in the mail for Red Lobster. You know they're going to make your favorite meal at lunch in the cafeteria. But when you make a commitment and say, God, this is my offering, I have decided to do this. You know 
<risa> ¿Sí? <risa> no, 